amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. G'day, mates. It's Bee Buster here. And before the episode begins, I would just like to let you know that Be Scared, which is produced along with Studio 71, features scary stories from around the globe on a weekly basis that aim to fuel your nightmares with a smile. And if you enjoy the podcast, it would be great if you could hit that subscribe button and drop a review. Thanks for listening, guys. And without further ado, let's begin. So I used to work on the north slope of Alaska in the oil industry, but the work that we were doing required us to travel far out into the Alaskan Petroleum Reserve, which is basically just untamed tundra wilderness for hundreds of miles. The oil companies, they would build these long ice roads in the winter that would lead to exploration drill pads. Our job was to go out after they finished the initial drilling and test the rock formations for their oil producing qualities. It was mid-January, the sun hadn't quite come up yet, and when I say that the sun hadn't come up yet, I mean in almost a month and a half. The polar nights are really intense. In any case, this particular well site that we were traveling to was about 60 miles west of Alpine, Alaska. It was deep in the wilderness, and our job took a week, but we finished and were headed back to camp to finish our hitch and go home. At the beginning and the end of the ice roads are guard shacks that you have to check in and out from for safety. No cell reception and radios work, only up to a distance, I think. If you don't check in or out in a set time, they come looking for you to ensure that you're not a popsicle. So, it was about four in the morning. Not that that really matters in the land of endless night. And we were halfway across the ice road. Travel was slow as the speed limit on the roads is only 25 miles per hour. But that was when something appeared on the road in our headlights. It was a man, in jeans, sneakers, and a hoodie jacket, walking down an ice road in the wilderness tundra at 4am and it was minus 20 degrees outside. It's not completely unusual for the local Inuit people to be out this far hunting anyway. So maybe his snowmobile broke down and he's trying to get back to the guard shack? Seemed plausible, at least to me. He didn't acknowledge us though as our trucks rolled up next to him. He just kept shuffling forward. He didn't seem cold either. His clothing, while totally not appropriate for this extreme weather, appeared warm and dry. We also noticed that he wasn't Inuit but was Caucasian. I rolled down my window and asked if he needed any help and if he was okay. He still didn't acknowledge us though just kept shuffling forward. His face was completely blank, devoid of any thought or emotions too. The other guys in my truck suggested that maybe he was in an accident and in shock. I continued rolling my truck alongside him as he trudged down the road still trying to get his attention. Even in the extreme cold I could occasionally get whiffs of a peculiar smell coming from him though. He smelt, I don't know, Acidic almost, if that makes sense. There was just a lot about this guy that made the hair on my neck stand up. 
The guy behind me in the truck's crew cab had had enough of all this. He rolled down his window and reached out to grab the guy. He later said that he was just going to try and shake him out of his stupor. But before my buddy's hand could reach him, this walking popsicle spun around and latched onto my buddy's outstretched arm. He glared at my buddy and then at me with this look of pure rage, not removing his hand from his arm. If emotions had a physical temperature, then this guy could have melted the entire tundra that night. My buddy, he groaned in pain as he tried to get his arm free from Mr. Popsicle. And at that moment, this guy starts screaming in our faces. There was so much hate and rage and anger in that scream, I'll never forget it. It was absolutely terrifying. I slammed on the gas and spun out on the ice for a second before the wheels caught and launched us forward. Popsicle dude had a hold of my buddy's arm and was trying to pull him out of the truck. He was running alongside the truck while the other guys in the cab held onto my buddy to keep him inside. After several moments, my buddy tore free from this guy and we hauled butt to the guard shack another 30 miles down the road. We checked in with the guards and reported what we had just seen. The guard was looking at us like we were pulling a prank, but policy said that they had to check it out regardless. My buddy's arm was sore and when he pulled back his sleeve, there were noticeable bruises in the shape of a hand around his arm. We filed a report with the guard and we were told to head back to our camp. None of us really wanted to talk about what happened and it was a pretty quiet drive the rest of the way. And we flew home the next day. Now, the next time we saw the guard at this shack, we asked him if they ever saw Mr. Popsicle on his patrols. He told us that they searched up and down that ice road for a solid 12-hour shift and they never saw anything, not even tracks in the snow leading off the road. He told us that it was a good prank and that he'd get us back for making him waste a shift driving around like that. But it wasn't a prank. I mean, who could make up a story like that? And who would willingly bruise their arm for a dumb prank like that? We never got a satisfying answer as to what happened that evening. I still wonder about that dude too, if he even was a dude. The Alaskan tundra is a, a weird place and that was just one of my many weird stories from my time up there. I'll try and jot down some more of my experiences and share them with all of you guys. I'm a single mum of a three-year-old little girl. I'm so blessed that I have the most amazing parents who live about 20 minutes away from me, who keep her when I need them to. I live in the city next to their rural area and you have to go down a curvy wooded rural road to get to their house out in the country. Now, my little girl had spent the night with them the night before and I headed out to their house the next day around lunchtime to eat with them and bring her back to our house. It was a pretty day, sunny, a lot of bikers out though, so I was on high alert driving there, as anyone speeding and not paying attention could easily hit a biker, which is a bit of a fear of mine. But I got there fine, ate lunch with them, and was headed back to my house driving on the rural road, which I know like the back of my hand at this point, and typically speed on, knowing when to slow down and take certain curves, etc. My little girl requested that I put on her favorite songs in the car, so I was kind of watching her sing as she sat in her car seat in the back of the car through my rearview mirror. As we drove back home, I caught a glimpse of something blue up ahead just in the edge of the woods near the road. 
I was going fast enough that the image didn't quite set in as I approached and then passed it. But right after passing it, my brain finally processed that it was a blue old car. It was flipped upside down and had also rammed into a tree. The road was empty with only one house near and there weren't any ambulances or cars near so at first I was like, what the heck? Truly the wreck didn't look like it had just happened but I knew something was wrong in my gut. I pulled my phone out and called 911 as I kept driving, not fully processing what had just happened. This is 911, what's your emergency? Oh, uh, hey, um, so I'm driving down the road near, and I gave them the road, and I just passed a blue car flipped upside down. It looks like they may have ran into a tree. There wasn't anyone visible near the car and no other cars around. I'm not sure if I was the first person on the scene or what. So what is your exact location? Is there a house close to the wreck? Try to find the nearest address. I'm sending an ambulance out now. Was anyone visibly hurt or present at the scene? No, no, I didn't see anyone when I passed, but I'm really not sure. I didn't get a super good look, if I'm being honest. I'm about two minutes down the road past the car now. now let me turn around and go back. I have my three-year-old little girl in the car with me, just letting you know. I don't necessarily want her to see anything traumatizing, but I'll do what I need to do if I find anyone. The car looked super bad, though. It's okay. Don't get out of your car, alright? Keep your doors locked. Just see if you can find the nearest address and I'll stay on the phone with you the whole time. I turned around in the nearest driveway to me and drove back, speeding with my heart beating fast as I now realize someone clearly might be severely hurt and I just passed them by, not thinking that I was the first to arrive on the scene. I was scared but in action mode, ready to deal with what I was potentially about to see inside this vehicle. When I got to the house that I thought was closest to the wreck, the conversation picked up with the operator. Okay, so I think I'm almost to the car now. I see a mailbox coming up right here. Hang on. Okay, it's... And I gave her the road. This is the house a little less than maybe a mile from the car, I would guess. I'm headed from and going towards, and again, I gave her all the details. And I see a car right here coming up on my left, across from the sandpit looking area. It's a blue older four-door car, I think. Okay, great. Well, an ambulance was just dispatched and it won't be long before they get there. Do you see anyone in or near the vehicle? What the... Wait, yeah. I see a man around 25 or 30. He's standing in the middle of the road. I pull up next to the man with the doors locked, rolled my window down with the phone still on my ear and 911 listening to me speak. I immediately say... Oh my goodness, are you okay? Is that your car? The guy is slurring his words a little, clearly very injured, but still standing and not in a critical condition. He says, uh, yeah, I'm fine. That's when I notice a large wound on the side of his head with blood all over it. I say, you're bleeding. You aren't okay. Look, I'm on the phone with 911 right now. They're sending an ambulance. Don't move. I hear the 911 operator asking me if he was okay or if he was hurt in my ear. I say, no he isn't, he's bleeding from his head, but he's standing in the road. That was when I see the guy's face though go from concerned about getting help to fully panicked and flat. He says, is that 911 on the phone? Hang up, I need you to drive me up the road right now, hang up the phone. 
The operator hears him say this and she says, is your daughter in the vehicle with you? I say yes. I can't drive this man anywhere. I'm not letting him in my car, especially with my little girl in here. Meanwhile, my daughter is silent in the back seat, taking everything happening in. But that's when I look down and also notice that the man isn't wearing shoes. He's standing with bare feet and there's a large wet stain on his blue jeans, which I immediately realize is pee. I can smell alcohol on him and he isn't even standing that close to me. Now, I work in the medical field and I deal with traumatic brain injury patients often, so I immediately wondered if maybe he had some kind of brain damage from the impact and began telling the operator, he isn't okay, I think that he's really hurt. I look at the man staying as calm and matter of fact as I can and tell him, oh, look, I'm really sorry, but I can't drive you anywhere. My little girl is in the back seat and I just don't feel comfortable doing that. I didn't see anyone in the vehicle when I passed, so I'd already called 911. I think you need to let them come. I can't let you in my car, but I'll park over here and make sure that you're okay until they get here. The man is visibly panicked and now really ticked off. He starts yelling, tell them not to come, hang up the phone. My heart literally stopped beating. I began slowly and gently pressing the gas, rolling past him to indicate that I'm leaving. The 911 operator says in my ear, pretend to tell me not to come, pretend to hang up with me, but keep me on the line. So, that's exactly what I do. Hey, uh, so I think he's okay, actually. He says he doesn't need any medical help. He lives really close to here. So, actually, I don't think you need to send an ambulance out. Sorry for the miscommunication. Uh, yeah. Okay, but thanks so much. And I fake the hang-up. I set my phone face down in the passenger seat and tell him that I was going to go now, but that I hoped he was going to be okay. That was when I noticed his pocket bulging with something silver peeking out. I knew right then that this man was armed, and I had to get the heck out of there quickly. I smiled and said that I was sorry I couldn't really help, and then quickly rolled up my window and I sped off turning around further down the road and passing him again at 65 to 70 miles per hour on a 45 mile per hour road. I was crying hysterically and I picked up the phone to tell the 911 operator what had just happened. She said, it's okay, you did the right thing. You played it cool and appeased him. We have the address and the ambulance is less than five minutes away. As she asked me for my name and identifying information, I see and hear sirens further up ahead. All I can say is that I thank God for the 911 operator coaching me through the situation that day. I still don't know what happened to the man, but I do know that he was clearly intoxicated, dangerous, and fully panicked, which is a scary combination that will make people do things without thinking clearly in an instant. My little girl asked, Mummy, was that man hurt? I saw a boo-boo on his head. I just said, uh, Yes, sweetie, he's okay. He did get a boo-boo, I think. He was playing and bumped into a tree, I guess. But a nurse is going to give him a band-aid, but I'm really glad that we could help him. She was satisfied and smiled, continued to listen to the music and sing when I turned the radio back on. It was a, a terrifying and creepy encounter, to say the least. What comes to mind when you picture the perfect roommate? One who comes when you call, one who doesn't forget to lock the doors, 
One who doesn't steal your milk just a little bit at a time, hoping you won't notice. At Apartments.com, they understand that. When it comes to roommates, a pet can be your best bet. They're easygoing, eat what you serve them, and never clog the toilet. That's why they have the most pet-friendly rental listings on the internet. And with instant alerts, you'll know the moment your perfect pet-friendly place becomes available. So when you need a place that's pet-friendly and human-tolerant, check out Apartments.com, the place to find your pet-friendly place. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. My family and I went on a trip to the Hocking Hills area of Southern Ohio a few weeks ago. There was a place that I always wanted to visit, the abandoned ghost town Moonville Rail Tunnel. I had never been to this area, so I didn't know what to expect, but I did know that it was pretty deep in the woods. We took a trip from our rented cabin using Google for GPS to the location. We started driving and it's for a lack of a better term, real impoverished where we are driving, the hills have eyes-esque. We literally only see a few cars on the way there and are on the back roads. We get to a point where we need to enter into the forest and we're close to the tunnel now. There was a sign that said that we were entering Bubblewood. For a little additional information, I drive a Mercedes that I'm just lucky to have and have my husband in the car. He's a black man with dreadlocks. My 10-year-old son, who is non-verbal, autistic, and my 6-year-old daughter. So we drive down this really creepy stone road into the forest and there's nothing back there. No houses, no cars, nobody. We see signs that we're close and pull into the parking lot. There's a footbridge there and we walk over the footbridge and make our way toward the tunnel, which is a lot larger than I expected. And we hear this sound coming from the other side of the tunnel that goes into the woods away from the parking lot. A truck comes driving through the tunnel towards us while we're on foot. He gets out of his truck with a chainsaw and it's a white guy in his 60s. He walks with my entire family everywhere that we go through the tunnel. I tried to make small talk with him and pull some info about if he worked for the Department of Natural Resources, etc. or something like that. But he really wasn't budging. We turn around to walk out of the tunnel and he starts using a chainsaw behind us and the sound is just echoing through the tunnel. I was already worried that my car was sending the wrong idea to the people like we have money or something but we really don't. We rush to the car to get the kids into their booster seats and this guy comes driving over the footbridge in his truck towards us in the parking lot. To this day I honestly don't even know how this truck could have fit on it. But he stops again and gets out of his truck and starts walking the other direction, much to our relief to be honest. About this time, I notice that there are dusty handprints on my car though. I asked my husband if they were his and we compared his hand and my son's and they were definitely not a match. I don't know who could have touched the car because where we were with the chainsaw man the entire time, I mean, we were the only ones in this spot as far as we knew. In any case, we got out of there as fast as we could after this. 
But just a few minutes later, I look into my rearview mirror, and there's a bunch of dust kicked up behind us, and there he is. He had had to have driven pretty fast on the stone road to catch us like that. There's nowhere to go in these woods, mind you. The road is basically one lane, and we have no cell phone service or GPS. And every time that I think we lose him, there he is again. At this point, I'm just waiting for my tires to get popped or something, or for this guy to ram me off the road into a ravine in the woods. But finally, we get out of the woods and I turn out and he's still following. We were following printed directions to get back and I ended up making a wrong turn in the excitement, I think. The guy in the truck was finally gone and I turned around to go back past the stone road that goes into the forest. And there is one lone house near this road as well and when I went there, there was his truck parked there. He had to have seen us drive onto this road into the woods and taken some back way to the tunnel or something. I don't know if he was just trying to protect the site from more graffiti or what, but he really creeped us out. It was like a, a very scary movie trope rolled into one single event, and I'm glad that we all got out okay. When I was young, we used to live in a house that had a big sloping backyard that backed down into a big oval. Our fence line was along one end. The other was a big forest that went on for miles. And on the opposite side was a fence line and all the housing estates. Right smack bang in the middle of this field was play equipment. There were zero people around here as it was quite isolated. And not many people frequented this oval. But me and my sister, we used to run down our sloping backyard, jump the fence and run across to the play equipment almost every day. One day though, we went out and we were playing as usual, having loads of fun. I remember climbing to the top of the equipment and sitting there with my sister. As we looked forward though, we were facing the forest side, probably maybe 100 or 200 meters away. There was a row of bushes along the front of the entrance to the forest. And out of nowhere, something caught my eye. It looked like a, a black object bobbed up and down quickly. I told my sister and we started watching that area waiting. Then, clear as day, we saw two people poke their heads up completely dressed in black head to toe. With what I recognize today as possibly balaclavas or hoodies. My sister and I sat there frozen. This went on for several minutes as they watched us. We made the decision to bolt as fast as we could towards our left, which was our fence line. I ran as fast as I think I ever run straight to the fence, jumped it, and ran straight up the backyard and into our house. To this day, me and my sister always mention the people in black, and I get shivers. Maybe it was some people playing a prank, but I doubt it. It just seemed like such an isolated area, and no one would have seen us if a struggle had broken out, but... The distance between the forest line would have given us a good chance to run had they attempted anything. We used to go down there every day, so it creeps us out to think about how long they may have been planning this if it wasn't just some elaborate prank. So this was about seven years ago, and I still remember these instances quite well. They left an imprint in my mind, I guess. I was 13, living in an apartment with my mom and older sister. I'd always loved supernatural things and for some dumb reason thought that it would be so fun and cool of me to make a Ouija board and use it. 
I only ever did it when I was home alone and I remember that I always lit candles. It seemed like a, a fun activity to me that if anything were to happen it would either be someone or thing helping me or just wanted to be in contact with this side of the world for some reason. I didn't ever really experience anything with the board, no movement, nothing. Though my candles would flicker in a weird way sometimes. Anyway, fast forward a couple of days and I wake up with a, a weird bite mark on my arm that definitely wasn't there the night before. It seemed like it was an impression of a bite made with wax of some sort. Weird, I know. Though my candles were always white and this was a sort of dark caramel color. It was sticky to the touch and it was gross. I remember having to get ready for school and leaving it due to the rush, though at some point I managed to wash it off. Things seemed pretty normal to be honest, well other than the occasional shadow that I would see move out of the corner of my eye, but for a while I thought it was nothing. But one night I suddenly wake up to my foot being scratched along the bottom, enough to bleed. Not a lot of blood, but torn skin was definitely apparent. My foot had been hanging off the bed and there was just nothing, nothing around at all that could have caused it. Anyways, we moved out of that apartment and when we did, it all stopped. No more dark shadows, no more bite marks, no scratches, nothing. I really don't know if that's that reassuring too because what it tends to suggest is that whatever I was experiencing in that house was real. So my story comes when I first started dating my now husband. His name is B. We were both 20 and his parents had asked that we stay over at their house to house it while they were away on vacation for a few days. I readily agreed because I knew that they'd have no problem with me bringing my dog. But they paid for food and bought groceries and live closer to town than I do as well. So I was happy to do it even when B had to work since I wasn't working at that time. It sounded super relaxing and was just what I needed at that time. And the first night went smoothly. It was a typical night. We had pizza and watched a movie, I think, and went to bed early because it was Sunday and be worked early the next day. I had a nightmare that night, but couldn't really remember it when I woke up. So it sort of made me anxious, but I couldn't put my finger on why. My dog Abby is an ESA, now retired since I have SD, and so she did her thing and was immensely helpful. I cleaned some, did some laundry for my mother-in-law since she was behind and just sort of hung out. At some point I got a call around midday that B's cousin was dropping her dog off. There was a disagreement between her and her parents and the dog was going to live with my in-laws from now on. And I thought, cool, I love that dog. Its name is Oakley. I was more than happy to take him in for them early. But B came home and all was well. Now, my in-laws have an entertainment system and bar in their basement, so we decided to go downstairs to watch our favorite shows for the night. My Abbey girl went down, but Oakley would just not go downstairs. Plain refused to at the top of the stairs. He was so freaked out about the situation, he started shaking harder than I've ever seen a dog shake. He was petrified. I finally told B that we should just stay upstairs. It was no big deal. And as we ate, I started to think about how Abby never let her guard down in the basement. 
she would always face the bathroom that they had down there and would never leave my side. She would stand in front of me and a few times she even growled. But it's an old house I guess so I figured that maybe she was hearing the house moving or something. I went to sleep that night and that was the night that I had the most real and petrifying nightmare that I've ever had in my life still to this day. I was laying in the bed that I had fallen asleep in. I looked up and then at the wall across from me, it was there. It was this black thing and it smelt like death and tar. Extremely tall, bending in the middle to not hit its head. Its proportions were all wrong. Arms were way too long, legs too short and angled sort of awkwardly. It had long black hair that looked wet with how it clumped together. Black holes for eyes with blue lips. It was veiny and made an awkward sort of sucking noise when it breathed. It had both dull and sharp teeth, almost like some were broken or something. But the worst part, believe it or not, was its limp. It made this sort of thud and dragging noise while it walked towards me, laughing. And not a booming laugh, but sort of like a, an internal laugh. Like when you're trying not to show someone that you're laughing. But its maniacal smile gave it away. It was excited and I was scared. I started trying to scream and at some point I must have woken up, but when I did, he was still there, still coming towards me. I couldn't move, couldn't breathe and was sobbing. I, I kept trying to scream, but it felt like I had a piano laying on my chest. Oakley came running from the living room and let out a huge snarl. I finally screamed and I was so frantic I screamed for my mum since I thought that I couldn't get my husband's attention. But he flew up and turned on his side table light and looked at me and when he did, it was gone. For a moment there, I honestly felt like I had just skirted by death. I called Oakley up on the bed who was crying now and trying to get closer to me. He laid in my lap and essentially just hugged me. My husband checked the entire house armed with a bat. He found my poor Abby locked in a bathroom crying and howling. She had been with Oakley when we went to sleep so I'm really not sure why or how she got locked in there. Once let out though, she came and immediately checked me out and traded places with Oakley. Oakley then went to look around with my husband. He checked everywhere with him except the basement. He again refused to go down so my husband did a quick check and found no one down there. When he came upstairs, I explained that I just had to leave. I just had to get away from that house for a while so I took the dogs and we went out for an early morning food run. Then we drove for a bit it was snowing like crazy and probably not my best idea, but I still felt safer than I had at that house. I did end up going back. The next night was my last night, so I just didn't sleep and stayed on the couch with the dogs laying on or near me. And I've never been so happy to leave somewhere, trust me. I no longer house it for them and they have heard the story. Don't get me wrong, I'm fine visiting for a few hours, but... I can't do any more than that. I still feel watched too and stalked when I go there. You would think that his parents might find me a bit nutty, but the worst part of the whole thing is that when I told them, they weren't surprised. 
they knew exactly what I was talking about. G'day mates, it's Bee Buster here. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Be Scared Podcast. And please, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's episode too. Also, it would be much appreciated if you could share this new podcast with your friends and family and on social media too. Thanks again for listening, guys, and I'll see you, mates, in the next one. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com.